0: with you. Can you turn with me please to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. I don't want to take a great deal of time this morning. (laughs) I say that all the time. What does that mean? Um, But no, I'm 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 going to try not to this morning because I I want to pray for some people today. I want to open up the front at the end of this morning for prayer because I believe... God wants to do some stuff himself. Amen? I believe there's some stuff that God can do that I can't do. And I believe there's some stuff God can do that you can't do. And I believe that if God was able to say, let there be, and there was, and there was nothing in the beginning, and he said, I want this and I want that, and he was able to take control over the, the then chaotic universe and bring order out of nothing then I don't think there's anything too hard for him to do now. I don't think there's anything beyond the realm of possibility. And I think sometimes we forget that our God is a supernatural God. Sometimes we forget that though we live here in a natural world, we're not confined to the principles of a natural world. God has done, is doing, and will do things that go outside of those boundaries. And he does it for a reason. He does it because he loves us. He does it, the Bible says, to show his glory, to show to all of us that, hey, I'm still here, people. I'm actually still in the house. God is still in the house. And he also does it simply because he wants to, because he's God. And if he wants to do stuff, he can do stuff. And I and we, we need to be sweet and fair with that. I, I just am feeling a stirring and have for a few weeks now and I've been wrestling with God about uh, God, what do you want to do? I just have this sense of God. When, when we got involved in, in, back in church, our, some of you know our history, we were in uh, a, a mission organisation for years, spent time overseas in India, came back, uh, felt called of God back to this country have done different things, have been involved in another movement where we're, were, were um, pastoring uh, a, a church in another movement, we involved in that, um, felt at a certain point in our life that God was saying, they're going this way, that's not you, I want you to, to pull out. They were doing nothing wrong, it just wasn't us. So we were, we were pulled out of that particular place and we went on this long journey and it was seven years to the day, my wife pointed out to me, for those of you that, that haven't heard the story, the day I preached my last sermon in my last church to the day that I stood up here and Jim White and Venice White came and prayed over us and announced to everybody that we would be pastors of this church, it was seven years to the day, from the day I preached my last message in my other church to standing here. Seven years, seven years to the day. Number of completion, if you want to look at it that way. Seven years, seven years. There you go. A lot of significance there for people. People are chatting about sevens. Hey. Number seven, halfback, rugby league team, guy controlling the play. But it's very significant that during that time, a lot of stuff happened. There's a lot of things that shifted, a lot of things that took place, a lot of uh, things that, that, and I remember during that time too, getting to a place where if I'm honest with you, I thought God had left the house. I thought God had moved on. I thought all these things that I've experienced in you, God, where, where you've spoken to me. Where I've I, I had a lifestyle where I would step out in faith and trust that you were doing things and God would come in and and things would happen and and then I'd, I'd be overawed and my faith would be built and I'd be excited and I would see people get a revelation of the cross and and get to pray with them as they said I want to invite this Jesus into my life and I would see people healed physically people in hospitals. I'm not just talking about overseas in India. I've saw all kinds of healings and miracles over there, but I used to see them heal. When we lived in Brisbane, I used to get phone calls from people. My son's got this issue going on. Can you come and pray for him? I got your name off such and such. They just said to call you, that you can you pray for people and, and, and God does things. So I'd rock up the strangers' houses. And there's a kid here and, 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 and he's manifesting and the devil's all over him and he's opened the doorway up and get to pray for this kid and he'd be set free and start laughing and, and, and the spirit of God would move upon him and he'd start weeping and repent and his life would be transformed and changed. Or Brisbane Hospital, I remember being called once to go to Brisbane Hospital and pray for a guy by the name of Greg Holmes. And Greg had been in a massive car accident and he was all battered up and so on and his mother rang up and got my name from another person and said, you live in Brisbane, my son's in a hospital, can you go and visit him? He's all banged up, he's been doing drugs and he's messed his life up and I got to go into the hospital. And I remember walking in and this guy's in traction and all kinds of pipes and everything and just kneeling down with him and going, look, I don't even know if you can respond too much to this, but I just want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about the God who I believe right now is in the house. And I shared with him about the cross and then prayed for him and then went away. And then a week later, seven days, I forgot about him and the Holy Spirit reminded me, remember Greg? So I finished a meeting, I was in, jumped in the car, drove to the other side of the city, went into the hospital, went up to the room where Greg was and unfortunately he wasn't there anymore because he bugged the hell out of all the other people preaching Jesus to them after God healed him the night later. He was totally healed. The doctors came in the next day and said it's a miracle, and he starts preaching Jesus at everybody. So they took him out of there because the patients were getting annoyed. They moved him to the geriatric wing of the Brisbane-based hospital. And when I couldn't find him, the doctor said, I oh, don't worry about it, he's not gone, he's alive. He's down here going down there, turn left. And I went down there and I found Greg Holmes in this what they called the geriatric wing. And as soon as I walked in, oh, hallelujah, praise God, brother, I want to tell you something. I know why I'm here. God brought me down here with these old people because they think their life's over. But I'm telling them, man, your life hasn't even begun until you meet Jesus Christ and you give your life to him. And he's preaching and going off his nut. It was fantastic, it was wonderful. And I I had a time in my life where when when you're seeing God move, the expectation rises. Not only does expectation rise, but your eyes are open and you're seeing things and you're recognising the fingerprint of God. But when you lose that sense of God being in the house, when you lose that sense of God being with you, because we start to go back and conform to the way the natural world thinks and we allow our spiritual side of life to just slip down a little bit and we forget the power of prayer, We forget the power of God's presence in our life. And we forget the reality of the power and the authority available to us in the name of Jesus. And we forget that stuff. And we start coming back under the basic elementary principles of the rest of the world. And here we are free in Jesus. Here we are set free. Here we are trying to tell the world about this supernatural God that created everything. But you know what? I'm I'm trapped in the same system you are and I can't break out. And that's what happens when we lose that sense of God being in the house, God being with us, when we lose that sense of the supernatural nature of God. The church is not just a gathering of people who have given our eternity to God. When I came to Jesus and gave my life to Him, I didn't come to Jesus and go, Oh, Father, forgive me of my sins, I repent, and i give you my eternity thank you for my fire insurance ticket. Now I get up off my knees and I can go and live my life wherever I want and do whatever I want. Because when I get to heaven and the gates open up, at least I've got my ticket. No, no, I've got my ticket. I'm going in. Because I purchased it one day. None of us gave our eternity to Jesus. We gave our life to Jesus. We gave him our life. We said, come and take possession because we want to give you our life. And if I'm giving God my life, that means my life should be reflected and lived more in line with the way God says it should be, because He's the one controlling it, than the rest of the world. Yet so often, we go through our daily routines forgetting the incredible God that has committed Himself to us. He's sitting there waiting to get involved in things, waiting to show us stuff. But he also has an expectation on us. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we've got the story of Saul being anointed king over Israel. Now, you go back and you read the story, God didn't want Israel to have a king. It wasn't God's highest agenda. God wanted Israel to be led by uh, his voice. We, 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 we would read the Old Testament, we would call it the prophet. But I don't get caught up on a person. The point was God wanted his people to be led by his voice. What is he saying to you? What is God saying to you? Because God is speaking. God is speaking. The problem is there are so many other voices speaking too. And we're so conditioned to put the voices on a level of priority. God is usually third or fourth. And usually it's the one that makes the most sense. Sometimes what God says doesn't make sense. I'm not advocating go out and start doing stupid things. What I'm saying is we need to learn to listen to God and live out of that relationship and do what God is telling us to do. God has answers and solutions. And God has a way of doing life. And when we do life God's way, there are promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. There are promises that he will empower us. There are promises of wisdom, seeing things you haven't seen before. There are promises of miracles. When we go over here and we decide we're just going to do life in a natural realm like the rest of the world, well, you know what? We'll get the same results. We'll be striving. We'll be, we'll be trying to get peace. It'll come, it'll go. We'll be trying to make things happen in our own strength and it won't work. We'll be battling failure. We'll be doing all this stuff. We'll be getting our self-esteem out of achievements and what we have and what we do. And, 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 and it's a totally different system to the one that God saved us into. The Bible says that in Colossians that he brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and transported us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a new kingdom that we are in. If I went from the kingdom of Australia, the laws and the rules of Australia, and I went to the kingdom of Sudan, there is a different set of laws and a different set of rules. And if I'm in that kingdom, then I need to obey those rules. I need to live life according to what that kingdom setup is and what that kingdom structure is. And God has a setup and he wants us to live that way. I was on a a, a DTS, like I just mentioned, a discipleship training school this week. And here's here's the thing that 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 I'm really feeling from God. It's an evangelism week. Now, I ended up saying to these guys, I've spoke on these schools for years and years, but I stood up on Thursday and it suddenly hit me. I said to them, I said, if I'm honest with you, I almost feel like this week is a waste of time. That got their attention? I said, here's the truth. Everything I'm going to tell you this week, you already know. You already know Matthew 28, going to all the world and preach the gospel. You already know that God wants us to share our faith. You already know that God wants us to tell people about Jesus. You already know. You Before you even came to this school flew from the other side of the world, invested thousands of dollars. You already knew that God wanted us to do that. But how many of you know knowing something changes nothing? Knowing something changes nothing. And so I said to them, if you're here and just to know more stuff, to get more knowledge all that's going to do is lead to a life of pride and alienation from God. Because knowledge alone puffs up. That's what it does. It just puffs us up because we know more than the next person. But knowing something doesn't guarantee a change in your life. Knowing something means absolutely nothing unless you do something. Something. Do something. You know that you need to exercise and stay fit and healthy, but how many people in our country do nothing with it? We know the effects of drink driving, but we still do it. We know the effects of uh, uh, too much alcohol intake, but we still do it. We're over-educated with knowledge, but we still do what we want to do if I can bring it in-house a little bit. We know the power and the value of prayer, but we still don't pray. We know the importance of fellowship and getting together and, and being around a group of people. And for some of us, this is the only time in the week where somebody's going to ask me, how are you going? And when I tell them a problem, say, can I pray for you? Because everybody else in my week is going, gee, that's bad. That's no good. Here, have another drink. Let's go and party, Whatever. But I know here when I share with somebody, what's I know that people are going to encourage me in God. They're going to encourage me in the way God says to deal with those situations and those problems. They're going to encourage me towards love, towards mercy, towards grace, towards forgiveness. They're going to encourage me towards prayer, towards the Word of God. They're going to encourage me in my actions to go towards that. But how many of you know we can know all this stuff about God? We can know that God is a supernatural God. We can amen and hallelujah and yahoo about it but then sit there with a problem and not believe God can do anything about it. Therefore, do nothing about it. Not ask somebody, will you pray with me? Because I'm struggling. I'm going through this situation. Not ask somebody, I've got this sickness and I actually believe that I don't have to just put up with it. Maybe God will say to me, my grace is sufficient, like he did to Paul. But at least that's God telling you. It's not just you going, well, everybody else in the world that struggles with this just has to put up with the pain. Yeah, they might. But it doesn't mean that everybody in God's kingdom has to sit there and put up with the pain. Maybe you're a miracle waiting to happen. Maybe. At least get God's perspective on the situation instead of bowing and going, well, this is how it is in the world, so this is just how I'll accept it, and this is just how I'm going to do it. We are called to do things differently. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, it's the anointing of Saul as the king in the Old Testament. And when it comes time to anoint him, here's what Samuel says to him. It's a bit of a story. But Samuel goes on and he says, this is going to happen, and then this, and this, and this, and this, and this. So I'll start in verse 1. I've got the New Living Translation here with me. 1 Samuel 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul on the cheek and said, I'm doing this. Because the Lord has appointed you to be the leader of his people. This was God's idea. God has has vowed. God has said, this is how I want to lead you. I want to lead you by my mouthpiece, the prophets and the people that will hear from God. But you don't want that? The people came to God and came to Samuel and said, we don't want to be led that way. The nations around us have strong military leaders, good fighters, good warriors. We want to be led like them. You can go back and read the story. They said to God, we want a leader like the other nations. In other words, God, we've got the system here. We're in your kingdom. We're doing things our way. But we're looking at the way the world's doing it, and we're going, God, we want to do it like that. And God's going, you don't realize the mistake you're making. Because I'm setting a thing up here, and what's going to happen is the goal is they should be looking into you, going, we want to do it like that. But they threw it away and said, we want to be like the other nations. And so God says to Samuel, there's a guy, Saul, go find him, we're going to anoint him as king. So here he is anointing him as the king. And in verse 2, he says this to Saul, he says, when you leave me today, when you walk away from me, you'll see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zazer on the border of Benjamin. These two men are going to tell you that the donkeys have been found, that your father is worried about you, and your father is worried about you and he's asking, have you seen my son? So Saul's out walking around looking for donkeys. His dad's lost some donkeys and Saul's looking. So Samuel grabs him and goes, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see these men in this place. Some guys are going to come and say to you, your dad's worried sick, donkeys have been found. Verse 3, when you get to the oak of Tabor you'll see three men coming towards you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will bring three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, third will be carrying a skin of wine. They're going to greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you are going to accept. This is a fairly elaborate plan of God that he's laying out here. You're going to go here, you're going to meet this person. This is what's going to happen, then you're going to go there. Then someone's going to say this to you, then someone's going to come along with bread and goats and stuff, they're going to offer you stuff, you're going to take it, And when you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you'll meet a band of prophets. So then you're going to bump into a band of prophets coming down from the altar on the hill. They'll be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, so very specific. And they'll be prophesying. And at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power, and you'll prophesy with them. And you'll be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do whatever you think is best, for God will be with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me and wait for me there seven days. I'll join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. When I arrive, I'll give you further instruction. Verse 9. As Saul turned and started to leave, God changed his heart and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. Nothing happened to Saul other than he got a great revelation. I'm going to make you king. You're going to bump into some guys with chickens and goats and bread. You're going to take some bread. Then you're going to bump into prophets at this place. You're going to stand near this tree. You're going to do this. And Then you're going to go to the Philistine. All this great stuff, this great, wonderful revelation knowledge that God is giving to this guy. But nothing happened in his world until the Bible says he turned to go. Nothing happened until he turned to walk in the direction that God, the prophet, had said to him. Had he stood there, nothing was going to happen. Had he turned and walked the other way and not done what had been outlined for him, nothing was going to happen. But the Bible says after hearing all this, he turned and walked. It says as he walked away, he was changed. As he walked away, Saul turned and started to leave. The minute he made the decision to start walking, he took his first couple of steps God gave him a new heart. In other words, God changed him. God changed him. He wasn't changed by what he knew. He wasn't changed by what he had heard from the prophet. As elaborate and wonderful and spectacular as what that plan was that was laid out for him, none of that information changed him. He wasn't changed till he turned and went. When he did something to head in the direction of what the prophet had said, when he moved, when he went... Then he was changed, the Bible said, And the truth of the matter is, in our own lives, we can come to church every Sunday. We can read the best of the best authors, and they're out there. There's some fantastic books and, and, and podcasts we can listen to and, and all kinds of wonderful things, and we can gather information and go to Bible colleges and knowledge and knowledge and stuff. But nothing is going to change our life until we start going in that direction. You don't change because of what you know. You'll change because of what you do. God won't change you because you know something. God's power will get on you and God will change you because you're doing something with what he's told you. You're doing something with what you know. We know to pray. We know to read the word of God. We know that the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Have some isolated time in his presence. We know that God says has has some ideas about our finances and how we should steward them, what we should be doing with them. We know that God has ideas about relationships and the way that we should be doing them. We know all this information and all this stuff, yet we remain the same people because knowledge doesn't change us. We're not changed until we take a step of faith and go, you see, Samuel didn't know. He hadn't seen a single thing that the prophet said to him. He hadn't seen one piece of evidence about that message yet he made a choice to take a step anyway. And you'll never see anything of God, any of the 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 God we talk about, the God who's in the house, doesn't get up until you get up. I wish it was the other way around. I wish God would say, here's the thing, I'm going to to, uh, heal this person over here that's dying of this sickness. I'm going to heal him. I want you to get up and pray for him. But because I understand it's probably a bit difficult and a bit weird, I'm going to heal him first before you get up and do anything. And then. But God doesn't work like that. God says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do in the world. I want to reach the world. I want to love people. I want to heal the sick. I want to raise the dead. I want to provide for the poor. I want to do all this stuff. Okay, you know this now. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? I'm there, but I want you to take a step. I want you to make the choice that you're going to start to do something with all this information that is floating about in our church world. And in the Western world in particular, we have so much information about God. Yet if we're honest, if we're honest, how much of the practical, tangible presence and power of God are we seeing? What solutions do we have to the world? What, what are we bringing to the table that's different than what they can find out there? What's different? It should be the supernatural aspect of God. It should be the very tangible presence of God that comes upon his people when they make the choice, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to draw a line in the sand and go, I, 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 need, to, I need to do the stuff that you are talking about because I've gathered so much information and and I get so much information and, and then I justify uh, by reasoning, and what information's you know is is, is, a, is acceptable, maybe in my culture, or will look good, or will not. In in Mark chapter six, our uh, Luke chapter six, we've got the story of the wise and foolish builder. In Luke chapter six, verse forty six to forty nine. And Jesus starts by saying this, so why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? Why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? He's not talking about obeying 10 commandments. He's not talking about that because he did away with the law. He did away with the the, the religious structures to please God. He's saying, why do you call me Lord? As in, why do you say I'm the master of your life? Why do you say that I am your, sa- your saviour, I am your redeemer, I am the one, I am your God. Why do you say that, but you don't obey? In other words, he's saying, you can't really say that if you haven't decided that you're going to do things my way. The two don't go very well together. And then he goes on and he shares a story of two people. He says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then obeys me. It is like a person who builds a house on a strong foundation laid upon the underlying rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who listens and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will crumble into a heap of ruins. So if you want to put it this way, the wise and foolish builder are both sitting at a rise Church in 2016, they're both hearing Jesus' teachings. They're both hearing what the Word of God says about life. They're both going from here and during the week praying and spending time with the God of the Bible. And they're both hearing God speak to them and say them things about their individual situations and, and, and telling them, okay, how do you take what you heard on Sunday, how do you apply it to your personal world? What do you do with it? Apart, Other than just fill notepads, what do you do with it? And the Bible says one of them went and said, well, I'm going to do what you said. And I'm going to build my life this way. And when the floods came and the storms came and the pressure and the persecution came, the Bible says that house did not fall. The other person was sitting in rise Church in 2016 and was hearing the same teaching and going away and praying and so on, but then not doing anything with it. The knowledge was all there. You were getting the same knowledge as this one over here but this guy's life is head and shoulders miles ahead of yours. Why? Well, this person over here is doing something with the information. You're just gathering information. and You're not doing anything. Because you're doing nothing with it, guess what? You are not activating the supernatural side of God in your life. And the same pressures are coming against you as they're coming against them. Your house is crumbling and falling and theirs isn't. And the only difference between the two in that whole story is what they did and what they didn't do. That's it. That's the only difference between a wise and a foolish builder. What do you do with the information you have? It might not make sense to be generous with your finances. You worked hard for that. It might not be, be, make natural sense if you believe in tithing and you give a certain amount of your finance to the kingdom of God. It might not make natural sense to do that. Therefore, what do you do? If you believe it's right, what do you do? Do you give it or don't you? It might not make natural sense to to forgive somebody 70 times 7 in the midst of a disagreement or a hard time. It might not make sense, but if you're convinced that that's what God is saying, that's what you should do, what do you then do with that? Do you do it or don't you? And it's the doing that makes the difference in our life. And I feel like if we want to see God move, and I, didn't, I, I know personally, we, we, I'm not here, um, and those of you that are regulars hopefully know this, we are not here to run a religious meeting on a Sunday morning. I don't care about religious meetings. Religion has never changed my life. Okay, Religion has not helped me. Jesus Christ has helped me. Jesus Christ has saved me. He is the one that made a difference in my world. And I believe he's alive and he's moving. And we're not here just to build religious structures in people's lives and to, to say, live a good religious life and you'll be a peaceful person and lovely person. You know what? I, I, I'm here to invoke and provoke within myself, my family and everybody else, provoke a little bit of of, of I guess... Uh, spiritual agitation the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force I don't want to be a passive group of religious people But I want to be a part of a group that are going, you know what, it might not make sense, but we know God's saying this. We know this is God's way to do life, and we're going to do it. And let's see what happens when we do that. Let's see how your world is transformed when you start doing the stuff of God, not just knowing it. When I was at this school this week, there was a young girl there. um, Christy, I'll let you come back. There was a young girl there, and she was from Europe. And she was actually quite scared, as a lot of people are. When I go and speak on schools about communicating our faith, it's it's one thing that's very scary for people, you know? The whole concept of having to go and talk to people about Jesus. We love Jesus, but it's nerve-wracking for a lot of people. It's it's, it's scary. And the E word uh, is, is like a rude word sometimes, the evangelism word. <gasps> Don't say it. I'm confronted with this all the time when I go to these schools. So, part of my week is I just take the pressure off them and try to give them a better perspective of it. It's not a scary thing, it's not a task we're driven to do, it's it's something different. Anyway, I challenged these guys on the Thursday. Just after saying to them, it doesn't matter what I say to you, I'm not going to. But what are you going to do with all this great, wonderful stuff that God is showing you? And I challenged them. I said, here's what I want you to do I want you to grab two people on the base, on the the Youth for the Mission Centre. These are people who already share your faith, already know God, understand why you're here and so on. So they're going to be happy for you to do it. Grab two people, sit them down and just share with them what, your story about how you came to Jesus. And the next day, next morning, we got together and I said to the class, okay, so, so what, um, you know, what, uh, uh, any stories to come out of yesterday? Any stories? And, um, a couple of people said, Oh yeah, well I went and shared with a couple of people at the Wyoming Centre and I, I said this and, and told them this and so on and um, then uh, another one said yeah well I, I, I one girl came up to me, she was sick. She'd been sick for a long time and she was afraid of asking people to pray for her because well, you know what if it doesn't happen, whatever. But anyway she broke, stepped out of that and she said, Come up to me and said, Can I have a chat with you? I said, Yeah she said, Look I believe that 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 I do believe God's a healing God and so I'm gonna ask you, would you please pray for me? Or my body, and so I, I, I prayed with her then and there, and a few other little things happened. But one girl in particular, she said, You know what, I was really, really afraid of you know talking to people about God. So she said, I went up to somebody on the base and shared with them. Now, I was going to go and find somebody else, and another boy on the train came up to me and goes, What are you doing? She said, I'm about to go and share you know my, my, my story of how I met Jesus with another person. And he said, You know, that's easy doing it here. Why don't we go down to the local shopping center, Brookside Shopping Center? And let's go and just find somebody in the shops and do it. She told me, she said, I was peaking. I was panicking. found it really hard to do it. But she said, I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew it was the right thing to do. Why? Well, because God says to do it. But she also knew that when I do what he tells me to do, that's when I can expect the supernatural reality of God to follow through in my world and I begin to live in a different dimension and I begin to experience different things. And so she went down there and she said, I walked into Brookside Shopping Centre at Mitchelton. And she said, I looked across and there was a lady sitting on a chair. But she said to me, she looked really, really angry. First, She said to me, she looked really angry. So I, I, I stopped and thought, oh, no, no, I, I couldn't talk to her. She just looks too mad, too angry. In the end, she thought, you know what? What have I got to lose? So she walked up to this woman and she said, excuse me. And I I told them how to approach people. I said, go up and say, I'm with a training school, like a Bible school. And we're learning a bit more about the Bible and stuff. And, And part of my training course is I need to go and talk to somebody and just share with them why I believe in God. So would you mind if I just take a couple of minutes as part of my training school to talk to you? So she said that. And the girl looked up at her with angry face and said, you don't expect me to respond, do you? She said, no, no, you don't have to say anything. It's just an opportunity for me to... She said, right here, no worries, sit down. So she sat down next to her. For the next three to five minutes, she began to just share her story, why she loves Jesus and what Jesus means to her and how God has changed her life. Well, guess what happens when we step out in faith? It's amazing how God begins to do things that otherwise would not have happened. She said, by the time I finished, the woman looked up at me and she said, I want to tell you something right now that I've never told another human being in my whole life. And the walls came down and she started to talk about her own pain and her own hurt and her own difficulties. And then this girl said at the end of the conversation, would you mind, right here in the shopping centre, would you mind if I pray for you? The lady said, that'd be great. So she sat there and just prayed for this woman. And she came back and she was so excited the next morning at sharing time. You know what she did? The prophet came. As in the word of God came. And she was challenged. And God made promises to her in the word of God. You do this and I'll do this. And she saw one of the promises. And she saw a God of resurrection. She saw a God of reality. She saw a God of supernatural power. And she said, rightio, to activate that I've got to do something. What do I do? And so she stepped out in faith. And she did something that Jesus had taught. She did something the Master had said. And she was so amazed because once she stepped out in faith, all of heaven rushed in behind her. And before you know it, a person is hearing the good news about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Before you know it, a person who's had a cat down in here for, she was in her 30s or something, 30 years, blocked. The cat came out and she, for the first time, again to release some stuff and talk about a world. A person that hadn't been prayed for had somebody sit there and say, you know what? Jesus loves you and I want to pray for you. You don't have to believe me that God is good. you know why? Because I believe in a risen God. And I believe he's big enough to show himself to you just like he did to me. All because one girl took one step and said, it's not enough just to know all this information. I've got to do something with it and that's my challenge to us today. That's what's on my heart. That's what I feel the Spirit of God is bubbling around inside of me going, and for me, I had to step out this week and do a few things because I'd forgot that God was in the house. So I had to step out myself this week in a couple of situations and just remind myself, and every time I did, it was amazing. God would come on in, and and you know what? I went, oh. I love this feeling, God. I used to live it all the time, but life gets busy and you get distracted. And I forgot the absolute thrill of living life outside these natural boundaries and connecting with a supernatural God and knowing that, you know what, when we do what He says to do, He then starts doing what He said He would do. And things start shifting and changing. And you wake up the next day and you remember that and you go, man, I can't wait for something like that again. What do I do? What do I do? Well, just do what the Master is saying. I want to open the front up this morning. It's about 8 past 12 now. If you've got to leave, that's completely fine. I understand there's still some tea and coffee to be had up the back. But I really feel this morning that, that the Holy Spirit just wants to impart a sense of faith to people. Um, I would love to pray. With you this morning I want us to to be that kind of a people to draw that line in the sand and that go God it doesn't matter how weird it seems how hard it feels how embarrassed I might even be even how stupid it might look into the natural way of thinking but God I, I gave my life to you Jesus not just my eternity i didn't just say that when I die you can have my life he didn't ask for your life when you died he's asked for it now and he wants to use us now so as Christy prays, as Christy plays there, I'm just going to open up the front. Like I said, if you want to have tea, coffee, go, whatever, uh, can we just respect the moment? If there are people that come forward, and like prayer. Can we just respect that? But Father, I just want to thank you for this morning, Lord. I want to thank you for the word of God. I want to thank you, Father, that it's living and active. It's powerful. God, you're, 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 the Bible tells us that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It comes, it cuts through things, it does stuff. It's not just one-dimensional words on a page. But God, even beyond that, the word of the Lord that comes to us personally when you speak to us. God, when you give us a revelation about tithing or you give us a revelation about loving or you give us a revelation about forgiving, you give us a revelation about praying, whatever that revelation is, God, there's an expectation that we will do something with that. And Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, for each of us in this room. Help us come to that place where we draw that line in the sand. We won't be perfect. It doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean we won't have fall short at times, but we'll make that determined effort. To go, in every situation, what would Jesus do? What is God saying to me now about this situation and how I should handle it? And no matter how tough, no matter how hard it is, God, we want to commit that we will do it. We will do it because that's where we see Him. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just touch our hearts. Just touch our lives this morning. In Jesus' name. If you'd like prayer, just... God speaking, you just come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, please, church, have a fantastic, wonderful week. We'll see you later on.